Hey, Taylor, how are you, girl? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing all right, doing all right. You know, just trying to live the dream and kill the game every day. Yeah, I feel that. (laughs) How's how's been training your classes going? It's been going really well. Um, I actually just took a week off, though, from training to go on a little vacation. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Where'd you go? I went out to uh, Breckenridge, actually, to do some camping out in the mountains. It was pretty spectacular, kind of cold. I mean, Breck is already. Beautiful. Yeah, Breck is yeah. very beautiful. That's awesome. That's awesome. What was the best part about your trip? Um, probably just getting to disconnect from the world for a little while, and uh, you know, really enjoy my surroundings and um, just be one with nature, a little too one with nature. Um, my tent kind of gave out at the very end there. We went to the primitive campgrounds and it got a little sketchy. Oh, I'm sorry. I've definitely had that happen before. Bad tents and bad camping gear makes for an epic trip. No bueno sometimes, (laughs) but definitely an epic trip. Oh yeah. Uh, and it was kind of, it was good timing because it was there at the very end, but I'm definitely going to have to do some replacing in some of my gear. I know you are into that kind of stuff, right? Like, do you have any recommendations? Yeah. So I'm a big fan of Nemo. Uh, they kind of came on the scene a little while ago and they've been around for a while, but their tents are awesome. And it's funny enough, the owner of the company had an experience much like you and it just, failed him and he was infuriated with it. And then, so then he set out to create amazing, amazing products. And if you're going to be doing like a lot of backpacking, you know, they make an Aurora that is really good. Um, but I would definitely check them out. And if you decide to purchase anything from them, if you use the promo code sends and suffers 20, you get 20% off. You help the podcast. Okay. I'm sold. I'm definitely checking this out. All right. Well, hey, I look forward to seeing you in the gym later on this week, and I'm still excited. I'm going to try to catch one of your fitness classes, but I got to jump off here. But uh, it's good catching up with you, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Sounds great. I'll see you later. Friends and enemies, lovers and haters, welcome to Sends and Suffers podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley. If you haven't already, please follow, like, and subscribe to Sends and Suffers podcast. Every bit counts and we would love to hear from you. So take a moment to leave a comment. These go a long way and help others know what they're getting into and how good this show is. If this is one of your favorite podcasts, consider becoming a Patreon. For as little as $5 a month, you are investing in Sense and Suffers podcast. And it's like buying your boy a taco, hanging out and getting to know the good, good that is coming your way. Monthly recaps early show releases, and all the other cool things that we do. 
Thank you so much for listening to Sends and Suffers podcasts. Today's episode is with Quincy, Fabio, and Brian. Now, Quincy and Brian focus on making the sport of skiing and snowboarding more inclusive by getting anyone and everyone out to the mountains. Now, they do have a focus on black and browns and underserviced community, but the reality is, is if you want to ride, then they want you to come along. And that's a real fact. So if you're down to be a G, come down slide with some OGs. Fabio is a rally car driver here in the States from Brazil and has a beautiful story that I'm so looking forward to bringing to you in the next couple months when we meet up in person. But for now, enjoy this episode. It kind of gives me the reminisce of a Black Joy, a show that I got to experience and be a part of with Chris Hampton and my buddy Donnell. This episode is all about getting people to the mountains and really honestly just making some friends. I hope you enjoy this episode of Sends and Suffers podcast from my time in the Mozoic Sessions with the Red Bull Slide-In Tour. Enjoy the show. Beautiful. How you gentlemen doing today? Hey man, I'm humble, man. Just mm. excited to be here in a different reality. Yeah, man, I'm good. Uh, today was an amazing day with Hoods to Woods. The kids uh, came up from Brooklyn to snowboard here in Vermont for the slide-in tour. Same, man. I'm grateful to be here. Just um, finally meeting Brian after going back and forth for him uh, on Instagram and between Brazil and all that. Just excited to be here, bro. Bet, bet. All right, so let's do introductions because... I'm positive the people listening to this do not know who everybody is. So Q, we'll start with you and then we'll just work our way to the left. Man, peace and blessings. So my name is Quincy Shannon. Most call me Q or Reverend Q. I'm from Denver, Colorado, more specifically an area called Park Hill, which was the inner city area of Denver up until the gentrification that has been happening within the last 15 years. I'm the grandson of Mattistella Holcomb, the son of Motion and Melody Brooks. And I think that's important because with lineage, you should always know where you, from whence you've come so that you're able, always able to honor those shoulders in which you stand on. And my grandmother lived to be 101 years old and was always able to share stories of how she got to be who she was. And so I stand on her, her shoulders more than anything of my own. Um, and I'm just humble, happy to be associated with these brothers in this room and hopefully able to continue to move a culture forward as we're diversifying the mountains. Awesome. Man, sorry, I got a little lost there. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> my first time with a microphone ever, bro. Dude, <laughs> dude, it's good, dude. Let it be, let it be. Yeah, man, just set it there, keep your hands down and just go for it, man. Yeah. Just, just, just let it be right in front of you. Oh, yeah, man. So I'm from Brazil originally, moved out here when I was about 13 years old. Um, my uncle was actually a stripper over here and he moved my whole family from Brazil when I was 13. You know, this was 2001. And um, yeah, man, just grateful to be in America and uh, chasing the dream, you know. I bet. Yeah, man. So born and raised in Brooklyn, uh, Bed-Stuy Brownsville. Uh, you know, I discovered snowboarding when I was in college. I went to Parsons School of Design. 
New School University there, had classmates who were into snowboarding and skating, you know, and I'm like straight hood. People invited me to go snowboarding. And I was just like, nah, yo, from the hood, man, we don't mess with none of that, you know, but take it back in the days, you know, late 80s, everybody was skating. You know, my boy's like, yo, you got to come with me to Brooklyn Banks. And, you know, I'm like, nah, nah, I'm out here getting money, hustling. You know, I'll just admit that my own ignorance stopped me from getting into board sports earlier. But in my 20s, you know, I got back into it, which is dope. And snowboarding got me my first passport, went to Argentina, rode the Andes Mountains, you know, uh, my set, you know. But my second season was dope because I went out to Mount Baker, Washington. And that's when I discovered, like, you know, National State Park for real, for real. And Mm. I was out there for a month snowboarding on the West Coast, long dreadlocks, you know, cut my dreads off. Back when they had long dreads, you know, being black, hitchhiking on 542, which is snowboard to get to the mountain and people picking you up. I was like, yo. This is what snowboarding is. And I came back to Brooklyn and I was like, yo, how can I share this? And I did a small uh, documentary, like a short film, like 17 minute film called Hoods to Woods. And I made this film so I can meet people. And that's how I found my co-founder, Omar Diaz. And for the past 13 years, we've been taking children in Brooklyn in the tri-state area, snowboarding, everything. We got gear, equipment, you know, everything is paid for. Is that documentary still available for people to watch now? No, man, because, <laughs> you know, no one even uses, uh, what is that, like DVD? <laughs> oh, you guys is haven't, it, like, digitized it back to, no, like, the like put it on YouTube or nothing yet? No, for real. If anyone out there got it, it's golden because I'm like, yo, where the hell is the hard drive from, like, 2009? Uh, you, you know what I mean? But yeah. I, I take that L, but I know someone's going to hear the podcast and uh, shout out to NBS because someone from the NBS, I remember I did a screening back in the day and they were looking at me like I was crazy. But two people walked up to me and was like, yo, yeah, yo, you have that? I said, yeah, I have my little DVDs. And I was selling it for like $20 to help pay for the bus to take the kids to the mountain before we had grants and sponsors. So people out there have it. So I'll step forward with the DVD. Cause like, I don't have any copies. Well, if anybody does have it, like shoot it our way. And then I'll make sure all you guys' information is in the show notes. Dope. All right. So, um, this, I also want to give the caveat to the audience. listening. this is a different podcast than, what we normally do. We normally have like one-on-one guests, maybe occasionally two. Um, but having three beautiful gentlemen from around the world, from around the country is a treat and a privilege. And so this is going to be kind of a fluid conversation. We'll just kind of rock with it and roll with it. But we all came here today. Um, we're, most of us are here for mosaic and the mosaic event. I simply like to call it and I'd love to hear you guys like recaps on it. But for me, the mosaic event was really a combination of three things. 
it was a networking opportunity for people I think who should know each other, need to know each other. And we were all connecting Two, it was an opportunity for us all to stand in solidarity and kind of understand that like there are other people because we all know other people are doing the work that we're doing or doing some variation of the work that we're doing or some people are trying to learn or whatever of this. And the third part is I think in which I believe this is what they were talking about with the conversations we had was how to color the mountains, how mm-hmm. to make snowboarding, skiing, winter sports as a whole more inclusive and asking the question, why is it not there already? And these are the questions. And I think this, this weekend was much more like a think tank than I think it was anything else. I don't think me personally, I don't think any true answers came out of this, but I definitely do think we like unlock some, uh, how do you say like you unlocked, we unlocked one level to have Mm -hmm. access to another level. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think the team is that brought all this together is going to take this and run with it and figure out how to make it something beautiful and how to come back. And I, I, I really hope to have the opportunity to hear where they're going to go with this. But I would love to hear, like, what was your recaps? And I know you were not here at the Mosaic thing, but after these two gentlemen go, I would love to hear right. your thoughts on it. All right. Yeah, hit me. Yeah, so I thought there was an analogy that brought was brought up at Mosaic that really stands out to me. And somebody made the statement that it's like the Avengers coming together. Mm-hmm. And that when mm-hmm. Superman is flying, the Flash could easily say, I'm not dope because I can't fly. But Flash in his own right is his own superhero. And Batman could easily say, man, I'm not super fast, but I have these other talents. And for me, that's what mosaic series represents. You know, when you look at a mosaic painting or a mosaic sculpture, it's different pieces that fit together that could be different colors, different shapes, different sizes. But when they're put together, they make a greater picture when they come together. And so when looking at the mosaic series from that idea of the Avengers or whatever super group you can think of, you know, um, the Justice League, all of these things. I, I, I like it from that idea of like each of us had our own comic book. And mm-hmm. in our comic book, we mm-hmm. were the stars. Mm-hmm. And in that comic book, we were the heroes or villains, depending on how you want to look at it and where your heart goes. But there was something that was written about us that was documented about us enough to give us a fan base, to give us a following, collectors who wanted to, you know, have more information about their favorite comic hero or villain and that there was this special opportunity for us to find out that yes we may have been fighting in Gotham City this entire time but there was another hero or there are other heroes who are doing similar fights or fighting similar battles and that when we collectively have the chance to come together it just makes us stronger and so when i think of the mosaic series from that analogy I look at it as a strength building opportunity of like, yes, there will be times in which there's some fights that I have to fight on my own and some things that I'm going to have to do that are unique to my particular situation. But there will also be moments now when if it gets too crazy, too heavy, too much going on that I can put a symbol in the air or have a calling that will go out. And now I have a collective group of individuals who are able to pull up, show up and help represent. 
And as one who, Bet. you know, watched the Power Rangers when I was a kid or Voltron, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. e- either yeah. one of those things, I easily think of the fact that, you know, individually there were certain things that they could do by themselves. But once the villain got too big or once the situation got too challenging, there were certain things that they could do where each of their collective individualisms would come together and they would form a larger body that was harder to destroy. And I think that's where we are right now is that the Mosaic series gave us a chance to know what that secret code is to unlock, you know, whatever super villain that we're going against to say, Hey, by myself, I may have failed. This system is so big by ourselves. We may have failed. But now that we have other individuals who are in their own disciplines, who have their own comics, so we should respect them as equals we are able to then form this super group who's, you know, mm-hmm. we're ready. Mm. It was me. I messed up. Yeah, you got too much Barry White. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of DMX, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, why. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's You're that's an amazing speaker, bro. Yeah, I appreciate speaker, it, man. Hey, you know what I mean? You got, we got to that love. Facts. <laughs> Facts right here. <laughs> All right, hit me. Yeah, man. So, funny thing is about Mosaic Sessions, like three months ago, I was talking to my co-founder, Omar Diaz. I was like, I said, you know, you know what? Like, you know, I want to change, like, the trajectory of Hoods to Woods and... I want us to start like reaching out more. Like we need to build some sort of a collective, you know, where we can create like this circle that, that just keeps turning and turning and turning, you know, how can we do, you know, better as an organization in terms of like environmental awareness, you know, you know, having a better impact on the environment, you know, with whatever projects we choose, whatever partners uh, we deal with. And also, you know, how can we build connections with, you know, the community? I said, wouldn't it be dope if we brought together everyone and made sort of like a round table with everyone? And then we get the invite to come to Mosaic sessions. And like you said, and like, yo, it's like this Mosaic. Everyone is different. Everyone has something to bring to the table, right? And everyone came to Vermont. It's a bunch of, uh, you know, people into winter sports and not everyone and the mosaic sessions, you know, with snowboarders, right? But they were asking non-snowboarders, you know, how can we make the mountain more colorful? Mm. You know, which is an easy question for people of color because of the the obstacles we have. So everyone has different experiences and different takes, you know. And when they asked us, like, "Yo, what was the thing?" I was like, "Like freedom, you know, uh, people, you know, black people, you know, being afraid." to go out and do something, you know, having those sort of things like stigmatism, stereotypes for you to go out and do something, you know, where people like, yo, I don't know if I'm part of this, I can do this, but like, yo, man, you can go out there, you can do, you know, whatever you want, you know, and the whole thing about the Avengers with all of us having different disciplines and how can we come together um, to work together? Because even before people started talking about that, I was like, man, everyone is here. Everyone is here. We got contacts to everyone. So 
we can make the connections and we can start making things happen. You know, I didn't know who Q was. And when he started showing me what he was doing, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to pull up. I'm going to pull up to Denver. Right. Let's go. Let's go. You, you know what I'm saying? So it's that sometimes it's not just like, yo, let's have a meeting. Let's get on the Zoom call and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, nah, nah, nah. We need to pull up. We need to be out there together. We need to make that experience happen. Right. Yo, I'm Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> you may be, uh, you know, A-Ball MJG. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Whatever it is, it's just like, yo, we all got our different tribes, but how can we come together? to make an impact and I'm not even worried about it because I think that it was so much brilliance in that room. Some people, they already knew what they had and it was people that didn't know. But after that group session, they like, yo, mm, we got this. But Synopsis to the man who's new in the room. <laughs> Remind yep. me of the name one more time. Fabio Costa. Fabio. I mean, shit, I should have known that. Fucking, you got longer locks than me. Butter. Let's go. That's it. Dude, okay, you smooth like butter. I heard you drive like butter, too. I try. I okay. Try, okay. <laughs> so what are your thoughts? Like, you kind of got a little breakdown of the weekend and that why we're here. And I think this, honestly, I really think this is actually a beautiful thing that you're here because, Thank you know, you weren't in the room when all this was going on, but now you're kind of getting to absorb kind of the thoughts of it. And so. Absolutely. And I was following it through, um, through Instagram too. Everything you guys do, you know, and I look at you guys as leaders and um, for you guys to be come all together, man, was much needed. And I always believe you guys could change the world, man. This is coming from Brazil and seeing the way you guys work things and just showing kids, showing everything going on. And there's a different world out there, you know, and I'm grateful that you guys are showing that. And, um, especially like you said, like you guys are all leaders, bro. Like you guys are like superheroes to me. And, um, seriously. And, um, yeah, man, like no words really. Uh, Fabio, since you're already on the mic right mm-hmm. now, you're already going hot. Um, so how are you, how are you two connected? Cause you, you mentioned it briefly before, before we went live, like some, through some IG stuff and things like yeah. that. But like, I mean, yeah. How are you two connected? Like, how are you and Brian connected? I'll say also through, um, close friends. Um, I met a friend, that my friend Primo, know him for over 13 years, 15 years. And uh, he always told me about Brian and Hoods to Woods. And uh, he wanted to show me what you guys were doing. And then he told me that Brian goes to, he lives in Brazil, actually, mm-hmm. and speaks fluently Portuguese. Fala Portuguese. Fala Portuguese. <laughs> <laughs> we have a very small Portuguese uh, community that listens to this uh, awesome. like from the metrics. If y'all want to say a little, little hello, hello in Portuguese, something that yeah, they would know. Yeah, Tamo junto, gente, aqui no podcast. Tem conexão, Brooklyn, para Brasil, você sabe como é. Eu sou americano e eu nasci no Brooklyn. Mas se não moro no Brasil, fazendo conexão, prancha, montanha, prancha, pega ondas, Rio de Janeiro, no morro, Cidade de Deus, Rocinha, Falete. Tamo junto. 
Ajudando todo mundo, né, Brian? Yeah, bro. <risos> Mostrando o mundo pra todo mundo. I know everybody. I know everybody. Brian, Brian's officially not more Brazilian than me, bro. I'm serious. He's, oh, he goes to the oh, favelas man. in Rio and oh, man. he's a king over there. <risos> oh, that's awesome. Uh, oh, man. Can you, like, so I, I'm not going to assume everybody knows what everything is here. Can you tell us what Hoods to Woods is? Why did it happen? What hood, where can people find Hoods to Woods information mm -hmm. first? What it is and why? You guys can find Hoods to Woods on Instagram, Hoods to Woods, H-O-O-D-S-T-O-W-O-O-D-S, Hoods to Woods. You can find this there on Instagram. From Instagram, you can find uh, the other plat platforms. We have links there. Mm -hmm. But and what is it? Uh, Hoods to Woods is a nonprofit organization that introduces youth in disadvantaged communities to the outdoors through snowboarding and mentorship. Beautiful. And why, why did you guys choose to start it? Uh, Hoods to Woods just kind of came about because like the story I said earlier about Mount Baker, Washington, you know, going out to a national state forest. You know, like, you know, I've been to Bear Mountain upstate in New York as a kid, but it's different, you know, from, you know, Snoqualmie National Forest, you know, on the border of the United States and Canada. And, you know, that was like, wow. It was like the stuff I saw as a kid on National Geographic, I was there living in a place for a month, snowboarding, like, you know, seeing avalanches and. You know, like, I'm like, wow, like people were just in, like dialed in because the East Coast scene is like so much different from the scene in the West Coast. And Mount Baker, you know, it's, it's a federal ski area. So they can't develop condos. They can't do all this type of stuff that you would see like at Whistler. So it's like nature. The people who go there are like hardcore and historically to snowboarding culture, Mount Baker is huge. It was one of the few places uh, in North America where they would allow snowboarding, you know, because back in the day, a lot of people don't know in the 80s, uh, they didn't allow snowboarding. Right. So I went out to Mount Baker and everyone talked about, yo, it's special. I'm like, I don't know. What are you talking about? I go out there and I'm like, yo, this place is dope. So that's that that was the temp tipping point where I realized there was more to snowboarding than just the gear and the marketing. And the pro athletes, it was like nature, you know, and I tell people Mount Baker is a Shaolin temple of snowboarding. And I will say it a thousand times. Mount Baker is the Shaolin temple of snowboarding. And if you watch the old school Kung Fu movies, uh, you see the guy goes to the temple. He practices Kung Fu technique and he comes back to the village to spread the word about Shaolin and save lives. And when I went back to the hood, I was like, yo. I got to share this. So I did a documentary. I had all this stuff on DV tape. We were just taping, like fooling around. We went out to Baker with two turntables, NPC, 3000 sample, and the microphone. Because we're going to be in the cabin for a month. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? It's like, yo, let's make beats. Let's rhyme. Maybe we'll meet some other people who's into hip hop. And people will come from the snowboard shop. We will have freestyle sessions. And of course, no, no one out there could touch me on the mic. I'll just say that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we had a good time. 
Shout out to everyone, you know, in Wacom County. And uh, I came back to New York and I was like, yo, this is what it's about. And I did a short film called Hoods to Woods. Like we said, like, uh, you know, I don't have it. You know, someone has a little DVD. But anyway, I did that. And my co-founder, Omar Diaz, I did a screening in New York, in Times Square. And at the end of the movie was, uh, you know, the conclusion was like, how can I share this with the community? And Omar saw that. And when we had the Q&A, yo, his face lit up in the entire room. He was like, yo, I've been snowboarding longer than you. And you went to Argentina. You did all these things. And, you know, you said you want to bring it to the, yo, yo, how can I help? How can I help? We exchanged numbers and we end up carpooling kids Let's from go. Brooklyn to Mountain Creek. I think oh. this is, that's beautiful. And I think this is probably a good segue to Q. Like, you basically bought a bus. Mm. Yeah. So uh, wow. I started, I live in Denver and I realized after coming back from college that most of my friends were just generally people in general who looked like me weren't going to the mountains. And it was crazy because folks were traveling from all over the world to come to Colorado to go to the mountains. It'd be like being in Jamaica and never going to the beach. You know, mm. It's something that people did. And so starting to figure out why folks weren't going to the mountains and what we could do to try to get them there and you know, started brainstorming different opportunities and ideas. And during the pandemic, went on a trip to Cancun, Mexico and had the worst time of my life because, you know, it's the middle of COVID. And so you have this forced reality of wanting to be safe, right? You don't want to just take public transportation anywhere. You're not just trying to be out anywhere. And so I was there on a solo trip. The, the person who I was supposed to be going with ended up getting stuck in customs and unable to go. And um, I took this, this excursion that said that they would pick me up from the spot that I had, they would take me ATVing, they would take me zip lining, and then they would take me to a cenote. And they picked me up from my doorstep, dropped me off at the doorstep, and they had all the equipment. And I was like, bet. Spent the bread, got on the ATV. It went maybe half of an alleyway on a dirt road. It wasn't like through the forest or th nothing amazing. The, the, the zip lining was short enough that when we got on the zip line, if I put my feet down, I could actually touch the ground. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, and scary. it was just like a trash <laughs> excursion. The cenote was dope. I'll give them that. But when I got on the bus headed back to my room, I was like, why did I do this? And the idea was that they made it easy. They had all of the equipment. They had the transportation. And I said, well, if people are always coming to Colorado, What's a way that we can do that? So I did a whole bunch of, you know, YouTube deep dives of buses, mm -hmm. was on eBay and Craigslist. And, you know, they have rent my bus, own my bus. They have all these different sites. And the blessing of it is that it's the height of the pandemic. And so a lot of bus companies actually were closing their doors because they weren't getting ridership and users. And so I had found, you know, two different types of style of buses that I thought were just phenomenal. Uh, and it was the Cetra S470. And um, I said, all right, well, let me try to find one in a price point that makes sense and found one that was affordable enough that I could afford it. and put some money like was like reached out to the person and was like, hey, how, how can I get this bus? 
And the guy was like, well, this is where I'm located. How are you going to pull up? You have your CDL. And I was like, wait, where did you say you were located? I'm, pro I'm telling y'all, y'all, I had gone on a site similar to eBay, but it's for buses and it lists buses and the particular bus just happened to be in Colorado. Not only did it happen to be in Colorado, it was 10 minutes away from where I lived. And so I pulled up on this guy and he actually had five buses. He was completely bankrupt going out of business. And he was like, I can't keep anything without my CDL, without all of these other, you know, classifications. He was just like, let me show you how to run a bus, how you drive a bus, what things you would need to be able to have a bus company. And he thought I was actually trying to go into the transportation business. And so we worked out a deal. Well, I actually bought two of his buses and um, had to put like a thousand dollar down payment down. And, you know, all of the people who I know who know anything about mechanics were like, man, get it checked out. You never know. This dude could be just selling you something that looks <laughs> like a bus and this thing may not go down the street. And I was like, yeah, I don't know nothing about buses. So I couldn't tell you if it right. is good or bad. <laughs> and so I went to this, you know, we had Googled this diesel mechanic shop and had taken one of the buses and the deal was I'd buy the first bus and then after two months, come back and get the other bus. My finances wasn't, you know, I couldn't get both. <laughs> and so um, I had put the bus on um, a, a diesel, this diesel mechanic shop and they, you know, went through everything. I told them to do, I think it was like a 51 point inspection. And um, they came back and were like, you know, it has about $7,000 worth of damage and some other things that aren't things you have to fix right now, but things within the next, you know, few years you need to get fixed. And it scared me. I just didn't know what I didn't know. And I thought, well, shoot, if I, I must have bought a lemon because if you buy a car off of a lot and somebody comes up to you and tells you it got seven to $10,000 worth of damage, you like, ain't worth nothing. Yep. And so I, um, I actually went back on the mm -hmm. clause of getting the bus and lost the $1,000 deposit because it was, you know, one of those things that when you put down, you can't get back. And I was like, almost feeling like I, I defeated myself. Like I had this vision, I had this plan. I had gone public about my plan. I had gone, a, did a GoFundMe and raised over $17,000 within two months. Like Amazing. people were expecting me to have this product mm. and I was scared and I was afraid. And so I backed out of doing it and then was like, I'm a failure, right? People are going to want their money back. And even worse, they're going to think I'm not a man of integrity because I didn't move forward with this thing mm. that scared me. And um, I started talking to a lot of just different business people in Colorado, black men, black women who I had relationships with. And there was one particular individual who he's on the Forbes list for his business and some other things like balling, you know, just a guy who has it in, you know, his late sixties. And we sat down and he was like, break down what this thing that you were trying to do was. And we started talking about what my vision was. And he was like, you were almost at a loss before you started. And I was like, why was that? And he was like, well, you were going to have a rolling asset that anytime it wasn't moving was going to cost you money. You're paying for the insurance. You're paying for all of these different, you know, things that will make it legal to drive on the road, but you don't have a program in place right now to be able to utilize it. You don't have clientele who are going to be able to get on it. It's almost good that you backed out of it because you were putting the cart before the horse. I want you to sit down for the next few months and develop what a program, a sustainable program would look like that if you had the bus, you would be able to move forward with. 
And so I sat there and I, you know, I trust him and I, I very much so have a lot of respect for him and started putting together what I thought the right program would be. And that developed into what we're running right now as far as Neighborhood Uplift, which is a program that brings folks from the community up to the mountains, gives them an opportunity for free lessons, free lift tickets, free gear, and tricks them into falling in love with going into the mountains. And this thing that I really had no idea when I was trying to buy the bus, what it would look like has turned into partnerships with Red Bull or with Burton or with the Colorado Department of Transportation, in which we're now looked at as a viable organization within the community because our program is tight. And so if I needed to, I could go back and buy the bus. But what's dope about it is we figured out the cheat code right now where the liability of what the bus would have cost or what we would have had to go through with the bus isn't a stressor that we have to do because we have this partnership with a bus company that provides the bus and the drivers and some of those things. And so when we're in traffic, I'm not sitting here sweating bullets like, did my driver sleep last night? Did I do the insurance? Is the, mm -hmm. you know, the tires have the right PSI? Mm -hmm. All of these different type of things that if I had that as my liability, I'd be worried about. Instead, I'm able to focus on the program and say, what can I do to tighten this program and make it the best program that it can be? And that's transitioned into just opening doors that I never thought that they would open. Um, last year, one of the ski resorts donated their entire rental fleet of skis and snowboards to us. And so I have, you know, 17,000 skis or snowboards that they donated and that was able to negotiate with different groups and partners in Colorado, um, in which right now we're right around 3,500 pieces of ski and snowboard equipment that we're able to lend out to the community completely free of charge and find ways to really be that bridge that I wanted to be when I had gone to Cancun, but do it in a way that feels authentic because the programming is tight. Oh, amazing. I got to do a Rick Ross. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I feel like both of you two are doing something that's pretty rad. And I think it's unique because, uh, and be honest with you, like there's not, you know, in the rock climbing world, there are a couple of affinity groups and, you know, have worked with kids. We take people out, but nothing to this scale. You know, I got to see your hoods with woods kids today and you had, how many kids did you have out on the slope? Uh, those, th that was like only like uh, 25% of the kids because they, they're advanced. They know how to ride, you know, more difficult terrain. You know, and these are the, we call them like the Hoods Towards Legacy kids, the kids that have uh, been with us between uh, one year, eight years, no, six years, who want to snowboard, who want to be there, and you don't have to drag them to the mountain. They want to be there. You know, so we had like 23 today, you know, because of the others, they're not at that skill set yet to ride a place like Killington. Okay, so where are the other, just out of curiosity, where are the other places that you take them? Uh, we take them to Mountain Creek, New Jersey. Okay. Which is way uh, smaller mountain. Shout out to Mountain Creek, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. we take them to Mountain Creek and uh, we operate year round because we have an indoor uh, hill in New Jersey, uh, American Dream. Big Snow American Dream. Shout out to the staff at Big Snow American Dream. 
So we run year round. So we take kids in the spring, summer, and fall time. So that's for like the uh, beginner kids. So the winter program is turning into not so much of uh, learning how to snowboard. It's just a free open ride for the kids who already know how to snowboard. And we have a revolving door. We service boys and girls 11 to 19. And after 19 years of age, they can continue snowboarding, continue getting hooked up with gear. But the caveat, they have to come back as volunteers and teach other kids in their community. Uh, that's dope. That's dope. Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's what it's about because, you know, I was like, Omar and I stepped like, wow, yo, we're creating future snowboarders, like mountaineers. And I remember I tell everyone the story one day, like back in the day, like, you know, 13 years ago, I'm walking down Malcolm X Boulevard in Bed-Stuy. I see some of the kids in my program arguing on the corner with some other kids. You know, I come across the street like, yo, 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 what you guys... Yo, 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 tell them, tell them about global warming. Because the last two winters, the first winter, it was snow. Second, it wasn't, they don't believe about, they don't believe about this global warming. And I said, holy crap. These kids are on Malcolm X Boulevard and best start arguing about climate stuff. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and we don't shove an agenda down the kids' throats. We just... Let them be themselves. And because when you get into skiing and snowboarding, you remember winters. You pay attention to that. You know, anything you do outdoors, you pay attention to weather. And you remember how it was in the summer, how it was in the winter. Yo, I remember the stream was flowing last year. This year is like, didn't get a lot of snow. You know, so, you know, hoods to woods, we just came in. We just came into the game. We were like, yo, we're not trying to fit in. You know, it's mm. called Hoods to Woods, for Christ's sakes. Like, yo, we like Hood. People were like, yo, you think that's a good name? Because it's like saying, it's like ghetto. I said, yo, I'm from the projects. Like, yo, what else can I be? You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. yeah, man, that's the essence of who we are. Fabio, when you came here, was one of your intentions to get with Brian and like to get involved with Hood Through the Woods? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Are you involved now? I'm definitely getting involved. Nice. How's that experience been? And like, why? Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. You left sunny, warm Brazil. Yeah. I mean, and then we can say everything else about Brazil that we all know. (laughs) So we're going to leave that alone. Try to keep this shit PG. But, you know, but like Brazil, bro. In Vermont. Brazil, <laughs> no, you're right, you're right, I understand. But no, yeah, man, my, my uncle was trying to change our life in Brazil and bringing all of us here. Because it's hard to make it out there, you know. Really? In Brazil, yeah. I, I, I know nothing. So, gotcha. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the only cat I know um, from Brazil is a former coworker of mine. Mm-hmm. And like, I can't really get into the details of that on Mike, but I'll get onto it later with you. But like his perspective in Brazil has always been pretty cush, but at the same time, he, he's made it very clear. There are two different classes mm-hmm. in Brazil. Oh, yeah. And it's like, you know, you either there's the have and the have nots. I don't know what is, I don't know what makes you have and what makes you not, mm-hmm. but that's it. And so if you don't mind me asking, like, where did you come from? And, you know, 
yeah, just explain, explain a little bit more of like that and the reason for coming. Like your uncle wanted you to leave, but did you want to actually come here? Oh, absolutely. So actually in 2000, my uncle brought me and his sons to Disney World. And I said, uncle, I want to move here and live here with you. It's like, your mother's not going to let you come by yourself. I'm going to have to bring your whole family. And uh, bro, a year later, he did that. Less than a year later. That's that, big. How many? Uh, it was six of us. Oh, because um, my uncle was my mother's brother. And at the time, um, their sister, my aunt, she had um, killed herself. Oh. And uh, my mother took our two little cousins and they're my brothers now. One couldn't even walk at the time. The other one was two years old. And um, so he moved six of us here. And um, we were in Miami for, um, first when we first moved. And then he brought us to Manhattan with him where he was working, making most of his money and stuff. And um, yeah, I was there when the Twin Towers fell. I was actually in Manhattan, no English. I was in school. Like, it was crazy. Like, I thought I was coming to a first world country and then, like, there's war. Like, I didn't know what was going on, you know? This is like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's heavy. Yeah, it was crazy, man. Like, coming in the beginning, not knowing English at all, you know? And then, like, moving to an apartment where in Brazil I was used to just, like, you could just be out on the street to whatever with your friends. Like, and, um, but after that, we moved to New Jersey and I, in Brazil, I always dream of snowboarding. There's no snow in Brazil. None at all? Not at all. Not at like all. You don't have mountains in Brazil? I thought you had mountains. We have mountains, but it just no it doesn't get that cold. Hills. Like, yeah. Mojos. Mojos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, maybe in the south of Brazil, we snow a little bit, but not enough to snowboard. Like, not enough to accumulate on the ground and stuff. Okay, I think I'm no. thinking of like Patagonia, which is farther. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Patagonia. Yeah, Chile. Chile and Argentina, they got mm-hmm. snow. Okay. Yeah, Chile seems that, yeah. that a real good scene around there. Nice. Have you been? I haven't, but I got partners who yeah. have who told me nothing but positive. It looks things. beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I snowboarded in Argentina in 2004, and uh, I'm going to go to Chile this year, but Argentina was like a mind trip because I said, you know, you know, I read like the Che Guevara autobiography and I went to Buenos Aires and I was like, there's no way this guy's from here. Because mm. <laughs> this is like, the vibe is the opposite. He was like an outlier. Facts. You know what I'm saying? Because like, I used to have long dreads back in the day and I'm walking around and people looking at me <laughs> and like, you know, giving me like weird looks and I'm looking at motherfuckers mm. like Brooklyn Ice Girl, like, yeah, what's up? Brazilero. <laughs> you know, I'm like, no, American. Oh, and they thought I was like Brazilian. So it was just like, oh, but once they found out I was an American citizen, everyone started treating me different. Uh, I mean, that's true almost anywhere you go. Sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's negative. Yeah, but you know, Brazil and Argentina, man, and when it comes to like football, soccer, (laughs) it's like. It's almost a law. No, bro. (laughs) You you know what I mean? But it's a religion. Yeah, but the culture there. Right. But it shows my own ignorance as an American. My first time snowboarding got me my passport. That's why I went to Argentina. And I'm, I'm like, oh, yeah, they speak Spanish, but I'm only accustomed to Caribbean. 
people, people who live in Central America, Mexico. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yo, where the hell is the beans and rice on the menu? Mm. And they're like, no, nah, no, nah, they don't eat that here. I'm like, yo, but they speak Spanish. I'm like, no, there's more, they're more like Spain. It's like <laughs> pasta and, and, and shit. I'm like, oh, okay. It's different. You know what I mean? But like yeah. that, that, that was a experience, you know what I mean? And I'll never forget when I was looking at the map on the radar and the, on the, you know, when you sit in your seat, he's like, where's the plane? <laughs> and the plane was like flying over Brazil. And I was like, I always wanted to go to Brazil. I don't know, maybe like one day, one day, you know, but I was like, yo, I was trying to like search for powder. I, I wanted to go snowboarding and I didn't get into surfing until later. You know, and I was just like, I don't know, I don't know. But I went to Brazil in 2011 because Q-Tip was doing the show in Sao Paulo. Let's go. And I had an invite. So that got me to Brazil. And I was like, people in New York, my home, my homeboy, Hakado Magdal, shout out to Hakado in Sao Paulo. He's like, yo, gonna be Q-Tip in Sao Paulo. I was like, do they even like hip-hop in Brazil? Mm. He's like, no, they love it. I was like, I don't believe that shit. So booked the ticket, came down there. And, you know, when they opened the doors, everyone that walked in looked like fucking Brooklyn, mm. looked like Chicago, looked like Denver, looked like fucking uh, Los Angeles. All these black people, Latino people, like, yo, that's my cousin. That's, yo, like screaming, yelling. I said, I got to learn this language. You know what I mean? 2011, fast forward. I speak fluent Brazilian Portuguese porque let's go let's você go você me entende quando you follow mano entende pra caralho yeah, sim pra caralho you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> I love this oh my god I feel like a Brazil also has the widest correct me if I'm wrong but out of all Latin uh, well the Southern Americas and countries in there I feel like when I look at Brazil at least on YouTube or internet I feel like from let's talk like in America or any other else, you have mm-hmm. like the widest diversity of it's people. like here almost, bro. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, like same thing, but yeah. it's just like but we you got speak so Portuguese. many mixes, so many. So do you guys run into the same issue? I'm just curious, like kind of going off topic here, but well, with this there is no topic. What am I talking about? But um, just for my own curiosity, is colorism and things like that like still an issue, or is it just like there are black Brazilians? There are white Brazilians and then there are people in the middle and it's like, you kind of stay on your own lanes. Is that still a, is that a thing there? I would say yes and no, because, really? um, yeah. So like, I didn't really know about racism until I moved out here. Oh, well that's American. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. it's the best thing that America yeah. makes <laughs> since apartheid is done. Uh, I mean, we are the best at it. Uh, Let's go. <laughs> like, cause growing up in Brazil, my father's best friend was black and, um, my best friend is black in Brazil. So like, I never really like, I don't know what's more mixed, like uh-huh. was more together where, I, where I was from in real, you know, I think it depends where you're from too over there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the, what was the culture shock here? Hmm. It was just more separated, completely separated compared like to growing up in Brazil. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, America is the most segregated country in the world, especially on Sunday. So it makes out sense. I mean, gotcha. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it, it just happens. And it's right, like, right, right. and also too, I want to be very clear. I don't think that's because, well, uh, 
this is, this is a loaded statement, but like, I don't think that's because people probably nowadays mm. would like that as much, but due to the systemic practices that have been put in since yeah. redlining and the mm-hmm. way that things that have yeah. been, Facts. it is culturally accepted and people are, would be in too much shock if it was just to be the way that we know it could be. Mm. I think people would just be in sheer overload. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's like we were talking about tonight on the, on the car ride back, leaving the pickle, you know, if you're the only brother in a bar out here in Vermont, mm-hmm. I mean, we all know the attention that's going to happen. And so like, mm-hmm. I think like it's this exotic idea that it's cool for a moment. Right. And I think that level of inclusion and I was having, you know, um, I was having this conversation with, my, with a friend of mine, Aliasha, today in a different way about like our industry that we work in. And it's like, you know, he's basically clearly stated like he doesn't believe and I, and I, and I want to give a caveat. This is a conversation also to not so much. He doesn't believe, but this is a conversation of both of us. And we both agree with the statement that I'm going to say here. friends and enemies and lovers and haters. I hope you enjoyed that slide out. And I hope next week you slide right back into the next episode to finish this conversation. I hope you've enjoyed this. This has been a big moment of growth. And I look up to these two men and the programming that they have created and the things that they have just brought forth into the universe. I really hope to be able to do this with climbing. This is like a blueprint that I want. And climbing is so different because you know, what, what they're doing, they're bringing people to the mountains and I'm trying to bring people to the wild and it's a different world. And I'm looking forward to getting their advice and getting their mentorship and hopefully having you help me with some big dreams that I have coming along the pipeline. As always, remember, if you're not suffering, is the sin really worth it at all? You got to ask yourself, if you're not really putting in the work, is it really going to be worth it? Because if there is no suffer, Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends and enemy, I believe there is no send.